We are turning in our Bibles this morning to John's Gospel, John chapter 4. We're starting off here and continuing further into the passage next Sunday. And like always, when we open up the Word of God, we're looking for God to speak into where we're at as a church and where we're going. And over the next couple of Sundays, we're unpacking a little bit of what we're sensing God is speaking to us at the moment. So if you have your Bible, we're going to John chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 1. Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The verses that we read are the opening of a very well-known, a very famous passage of Scripture, and I'm sure you've probably read it a million times, and I'm sure you've probably heard about a million sermons on it as well, and sorry that today is one million and one. (laughs) But we begin to look at a conversation that's taking place between Jesus and a Samaritan woman, and that conversation takes place at the well, and so this passage has forever been referenced as Jesus and the woman at the well, who were really creative in naming that one. And the verse that we launched from this morning that kind of frames the theme that we're looking at and the direction that we're going in in terms of exploring this passage, the verse that we we park on or launch from rather is verse 3 where it says, when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, what we read here literally, taking this verse at face value, what we read here is that Jesus is on the move. And that's interesting language to use because in our church circles, we've come to refer to the moments in which the reality and the activity of God becomes evident. We've come to refer to those moments as God moving. In fact, I think we could fear to say we've just been in such a moment. And I suppose it comes from that idea of God moving the hearts and souls of an individual, both in terms of emotions, but also in terms of transformation. That as the heart begins to experience the character and nature of God, as the heart begins to experience that He is love, that He is joy, that He is peace, then our emotions react to that which we're experiencing. We are moved emotionally. And quite often, Pentecostal charismatic circles, we are criticized by those outside of our church circles has been those that are focused on emotions and that put too much focus on emotions and emotionalism and almost as though that's a negative thing. In actual fact, I'm kind of okay with that because if you take love and you strip love of all emotion, what you're left with is something that is empty and void. And the Bible says this, God is love. So if you take God and you strip him of all emotion, what you're left with is that which is empty and void and devoid of God. When we encounter him, it involves our emotions. He made us that way, so he interacts with those as he comes and brings us into an experience of himself. But as the heart and soul begins to experience the character and nature of God, who he is and what he's like, we're not just moved emotionally, but we're also moved to a place of transformation. Transformation. 
We're moved to a place where we become changed by him. We are moved from behaving one way to behaving another way, from thinking one way to thinking another way, from one set of beliefs to a completely different set of beliefs, from one level of understanding of who he is to a whole other level of understanding. The gospel or the the writer in, in the New Testament puts it far eloquently and says, we are being transformed into his likeness from one degree of glory to the next. We are constantly being moved with every experience of who he is, with every revelation of who he is, we are being moved towards a place of transformation and change. When we look at it in terms of human experience, we, we can understand then why those moments when God gets to work in a life and we're moved emotionally and we're moved in terms of transformation, we can understand why we refer to those moments when God gets to work in a life as God moving in a life. We use that language. God is really moving in that person's life just now, or God's really moving in my life at the moment. But we take it from an individual perspective and we move it into a corporate perspective. Because moments in which God's reality and presence and power are tangibly found and powerfully seen amongst a group of people, amongst a church, even in a town or an area where we refer to that as a move of God. And that phrase is an interesting one, and it's quite a significant one because it carries with it the connotation of momentum, that the momentum of the kingdom of God is powerfully at work. It carries with it that concept of activity. It carries with it that concept or connotation of work. It's when God turns up within a moment, within a people, within a church, through a church, within an area. It's when God begins to make his power and his reality known and begins to bring supernatural transformation to individuals and groups of individuals, even towns and areas. We call such moments moves of God. And I long for a move of God. Clearly, I'm on my own. (laughs) Bring that back to John chapter 4. What we read here is that Jesus is on the move. And as we see that physically and literally, we can also see that spiritually. These verses unpack for us a move of God. And we learn from that then about a move of God. Let me give you a bit of background to the passage. Israel or Palestine during Jesus' time was 120 miles long from north to south and was mainly split into three areas, Galilee in the north, Judea in the south, and Samaria across that central area. Now, when John's Gospel opens up and we turn on to the first page of John's Gospel, he doesn't really start with the Christmas story. He lands us right in at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus is in the southern part of the country in Bethany on the eastern side of the Jordan where he's been baptized by John the Baptist. And this is the very start of his ministry. And in those early stages, Jesus begins by recruiting some disciples. The first of the pick was Andrew and Peter, which we have to assume also happened in the Bethany area. And then John's Gospel tells us that Jesus travels north to Galilee and picks up another couple of disciples who are Philip and Nathaniel. And while he's in the area, he's invited to a wedding in Cana, which is when he does his first ever miracle and pulls the water to to wine trick out of his bag. And after the wedding, he heads further north to Capernaum, where as we unpacked before, 
We believe that he had a house or a base. And then he leaves Capernaum and he heads south to Judea and to Jerusalem in order to visit the temple for the Passover. And in John's order of the gospel, this is when we read what we would understand to a degree is Jesus having a bit of a flaky and driving everybody out of the temple. From the temple, he meets Nicodemus and ministers to him. Before then, we're told that Jesus and his disciples begin touring the Judean countryside, preaching and teaching. Now, we list all of that to highlight that in that order of John's gospel, apart from really the, the miracle at the wedding in Cana and the clearing out of the temple, Jesus hasn't really done any major ministry until we arrive in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, he kickstarts his ministry, as it were. And yes, I understand that he selects his disciples, that's ministry, and, and he chats to Nicodemus, but the Jesus ministry that we've come to recognize going through the Gospels in terms of preaching and teaching and gathering crowds and life's been transformed hasn't really happened until we steer into this moment where he begins, according to John 4, a bit of a preaching and ministry tour throughout the Judean countryside. In essence, Jesus has just turned up in this area. And the reality and the presence of God has turned up in Judea. And the work and the activity of God has begun to take place amongst the people. In other words, what we're reading here is that there's a move of God in Judea. Because through Jesus, the character and the nature and the power of God has been made known among people and moving individuals to a place of transformation. And we know that people are being moved towards a place of transformation because the passage opens by telling us that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. The work and activity of Jesus within that area was measured by the fact that he was gaining and baptizing disciples. And it's interesting that specifically the language says he was gaining and baptizing more disciples. That's important. Because what it suggests is, was that as people were encountering Jesus, and as they were encountering his teaching and his ministry, these people are beginning to think to themselves, there's something in this guy's teaching. There's something in his ministry. This guy's ministry is beginning to have an impact on me. It's beginning to move me, I, I, I believe, some of the stuff that he's saying. But actually what John's gospel spells out for us was that not just, people were not just making decisions to believe in him and his teaching. But in fact, people were giving their whole lives over to Jesus. People were saying, I don't just want this as a belief structure. Like, yeah, I think this is what I might believe in. I don't just want this as a belief structure. I want this as a way of life. Jesus wasn't just seeing people make decisions. Actually, he was seeing people become disciples. And this is understood in the fact that they were baptized. Baptism and Judaism signified two things. Firstly, it signified cleansing. And secondly, it signified conversion. According to the Jewish faith, people were baptized that is fully immersed in water for cleansing purposes to show that something had happened that had made them ceremonially unclean and they were dealing with that issue before God and symbolically immersing themselves in the water to show that they were cleansed. However, the other reason that people were baptized was when they were converting from one faith system to another faith system. When they were converting from one faith system to Judaism or Jewish belief. Now, the fact 
that people were getting baptized in response to Jesus' ministry and teaching showed that people weren't just thinking to themselves, I quite like this guy's chat. I think he might be on to something. I think there might be something in it. I think I, I can resonate with some of the things. No, no, it was much, much more than that. The fact that people were being baptized meant that people were being so moved by what they were encountering that it was completely transforming their lives. And they were not only saying, firstly, that they wanted to get right with God, but also they were saying that they wanted to embrace this as a lifestyle, that they wanted to give their entire lives over to not just believing this, but living it. And what we learn then from this is a hallmark of genuine moves of God. Jesus begins to move in that area. The work and the activity of God begins in that Judean countryside. And the first hallmark that we see is this. A genuine move of God brings disciples and not decisions. A genuine move of God in a life. A genuine move of God amongst a group of people. A genuine move of God in an area or within a church is not seen by how many hands are raised at an altar call. It is not seen by how many people mutter the repeat after me sinner's prayer. It's seen in people surrendering their whole lives to Jesus and saying, I want this as a way of life. I want to live every moment of every day living in a relationship with him, pursuing intimacy with him, experiencing him and his heart in such a way that his character and nature is seen in my character and nature. A genuine move of God brings disciples and not decisions. Now, here's the thing. In Scripture, we are encouraged to seek a move of God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face and pray, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal their land. There is calls in Scripture that encourage us to press in and seek him for a move of God. However, equally, the New Testament and the Gospels teach us a profound truth, and that is that we are a move of God. The, those that come to him and drink from the water of life, streams, rivers of living water are released within to flow without. We are to go into all the world and we are to call for the dynamics of heaven to impact the conditions of earth. We are a move of God. It's supposed to be that when we step onto the bus, a move of God steps onto the bus. When we turn up in the office, a move of God turns up in the office. When we walk into the supermarket, the work and the activity of God has arrived in that supermarket because we need to give our entire lives over to being the move of God that this world seeks. And if a genuine move of God sees disciples and not decisions, then that means that we need to begin to stop playing at church and we need to begin to stop playing at Jesus and realize that actually we need to move from making just a decision of this is what I believe, this is what I subscribe to, to actually giving our entire lives over to this. Of giving our whole everything, all that we are and all that we have to say it is yours, God. And we give our everything that we can be your disciples, that we can be transformed into your likeness, that we can be the work and the activity of God wherever we go. We need to move from decision to disciples. We need to move from making decisions to becoming disciples of us. 
which means that we need to move from the, this is what I do on a Sunday morning between 11 to 1, unless the pastor's really dragging it out and kind of on beyond that. But this is more than just what I do on a Sunday morning or midweek if I'm really into it at a connect group. I'm giving my everything to this. I'm giving my everything to discipleship, to being transformed into his likeness. Genuine moves of God bring disciples and not decisions. Now, the fact that the opening verses present to us that Jesus was gaining more disciples than John, that's the opening fact. And the John that's mentioned here, of course, is John the Baptist. And if you remember from the early Gospels, John the Baptist was baptizing so many people and encouraging them to repent of their sin and to get ready for, for God, that the kingdom of God was coming. He was baptizing so many that it was causing a little bit of a spiritual revolution. And it was upsetting the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day. Now, Jesus was actually gaining and baptizing more people than John was, which means that Jesus was causing one almighty spiritual revolution in the area. And of course, the issue that is presented to us right at the beginning of these verses was that the Pharisees heard of this. They heard that people were giving their whole lives over to Jesus and they're giving their everything to follow him in his ministry. And you think that would make them happy, but it didn't. Because if you think about it, if people being baptized by John angered them, then you've got to believe that even more people being baptized in response to Jesus would have had them spitting teeth. Now, why? Because the more people that followed Jesus' teaching meant the less people were following theirs. The move of God in Judea was upsetting the status quo. It was interrupting the religious order that had always been. And you see, the religious order that had always been for decades, maybe even centuries, was that people went to the synagogue for the religious teaching. People went to the temple for the religious interactions. People looked to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, or the priests for their religious instruction and direction. But now this guy's turned up, and people are turning up on mountains, and people are meeting on mountainsides, and people are gathering on seashores to listen to preaching and teaching. People are going out into the countryside where there aren't even facilities around for, for uh, feeding all the people that have gathered there. People are listening to this guy that has rocked up onto the scene and started to announce that the kingdom of God is here and the kingdom of God is now. He was interrupting the religious order of the day, Jesus was. And that's what Jesus did. He wasn't really into status quo. He was more of a Bon Jovi guy. No? Jesus, oh, sorry, Lord. Jesus wasn't really into the status quo. Everywhere he went, he, he interrupted order. He brought God's order. He brought godly chaos. He touched lepers. He made friends with prostitutes. He ate and drank and hung out with immoral and fraudulent people. He helped people by healing them on the Sabbath. What a guy. He raised the dead. He spat in mud and made mud cakes and slapped it on people's eyeballs. He rescued adulterous people from being murdered. See, when Jesus turned up and crowds flocked round him, 
the order of the crowd, the order of that community, the order of that people and the religious structures and their copious restricting laws, all of that order was completely and utterly interrupted. Jesus brought chaos wherever he went. He interrupted the order and released God's order. See, here we see that a genuine move of God interrupts religion, it interrupts the religious order, and it releases God's order. In fact, it releases people into life. And if we are to see a move of God, and we are to be a move of God, then we need to become holy disruptors. We need to become godly disruptors, because that's the call. They're hungry, feed them, change the story. They're poor, clothe them, change the story. They're sick, pray for healing, change the story, change the order. They're bound and oppressed, say, no, no, there's another order that you can live by. There's freedom. Our call is to change the order, to be holy disruptors. But as well as that, if we are to see a move of God, then we've got to get ready for some godly chaos. And, and some of us, as soon as we hear that, like, oh, yes, we're going to get to the place where there's going to be wild and wicked manifestations in the house, and everything's going to be crazy, but can we see how even by thinking that, we're already putting in what we think the order should be, and it's not our order, it's His. We're really good as Pentecostals that go, no, we don't put God in a box, but we do. We just put Him in a box that's labeled crazy and think, that's it, it's good. In actual fact, we've got to let it be His order, not our order. Genuine moves of God contradict and interrupt religious order. And they release his. They release people into life. The verse 3 tells us that when Jesus learned of the unrest of the religious leaders regarding his ministry, he left for Galilee. Jesus is on the move, literally and spiritually. And two things, in their opinion, cause Jesus to move here, there's two things that therefore can cultivate or cause a move of God. And the first is this, it's the influence of religion. We cannot move away from the fact that the unrest of the religious leaders is what caused Jesus to leave the area. The Pharisees learned that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. When Jesus learned of this, he left. That's what the scripture says. So here's what we see. We, we see a move of God, but what we see is God moving out. God moves his work. He moves his activity. He moves his ministry out of the area. And what caused that was the influence of religion. As Jesus broke religious order and he brought people into life-giving, life-changing relationships with God in response to holy disorder, Religion began to rise up to try and shut it down. The organized religion of the day tried to restrict, restrain, and stifle the ministry of Jesus, tried to stifle the move of God, so Jesus left. We've got to understand that religion always seeks to restrict the move of God. And in fact, let's take that a little bit further to identify the spirit at work. Whenever there is a move of God, the spirit of control rises up to try and restrict and restrain it. And in this moment, I think it's really interesting that as religion raises its head, Jesus leaves. 
And the reason that religion raised its head very clearly, we're told, was that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. They weren't happy with John's baptism. You can believe they wouldn't be happy with Jesus. You can almost hear them saying, this isn't true baptism. This isn't real. This isn't correct. This teaching is not of God. It's not right in its origin. But what is really interesting is that Jesus leaves. He didn't want to be involved in controversy over baptism. The Pharisees were livid that people were converting and being baptized. And it's amazing that Jesus didn't stick around for the debate because he could have more than held his own in that debate. In fact, he could have run rings around their theology. I always think when you read in the Gospels, it would be a nightmare to have a debate with Jesus, particularly soon as he's got that, knowing your thoughts before you've even spoken them and answering them before you've even said them. He's always on the front foot. He could have won that debate hands down. But Jesus wasn't interested in religious controversy. And let's take that from past tense to present tense. Jesus isn't interested in religious controversy. He is only interested in the souls of men and women, boys and girls. No move of God has ever taken place as a result of religious debates, religious controversy, or religious dogma. Moves of God generally tend to cause religious debate and cause religious controversy, but there has never been a time in history when religious tension has spurred a move of God because God's not into hatred. He will not be found in division. He is not moved by sectarianism, and he does not delight in discrimination. And so we've got to hear that, church, and embody that. And if I could be so bold to say that we embody it, not just in our own mindsets and beliefs, but could I also suggest that maybe we embody it in some of our social media posts and in the decision of what we choose to share and what we do not share. God is not into hatred. He is not into division, and he is not moved by sectarianism or discrimination. So if we want to be part of moving his heart, we need to cut that stuff out. Now, don't get me wrong, theology and doctrine is important. But theology and doctrine is supposed to help us in our walk with God and not stimulate hatred, division, and war. Point-scoring theological arguments are not his heart because he could have won that in this situation very easily. A move of God in this moment was stirred by religious tension, but religion caused God to move out. We've got to be careful to guard our hearts against religious attitudes, against pious mindsets, and against controlling dogma. Because such things will cause a move of God all right, but not the move of God that we would desire. The second thing that we recognize that caused the move of God in this moment was that the scripture said Jesus had to go, to Samar had to go through Samaria. And this statement is a puzzling one. Because, in a sense, it's not entirely true. If you look at the map, you can see that the route to Galilee from Judea straight through Samaria is the most direct route as the crow flies. This route would take an individual roughly three days to travel. But there was an alternative route, a route that was generally preferred by Jewish believers because it was a route that avoided Samaria completely. 
That route saw an individual cross the Jordan, travel north, bypassing Samaria, and then cross back over the Jordan again and back into Galilee. The route was twice as long, but it meant the Jews didn't need to encounter Samaritans, and they believed that Samaritans were heathens, and that to even come in contact with them would make them unclean and unable to participate in temple life. When you look at it on the map, Jesus didn't have to go to Samaria. There was another route. He didn't have to go through Samaria. There was another way. He didn't have to go through Samaria, but yet he did have to go through Samaria because he had an appointment with a woman making her way to a well in the sixth hour of the day. Jesus moved from Judea and he went to Samaria. And the reason that he moved was to bring a soul into a revelation and encounter with himself. Genuine moves of God revolve around souls encountering revelations of Jesus. Genuine moves of God do not revolve around busloads of people turning up. They are not determined by really big services and the need for overflow venues. They are not even determined and hallmarked by powerful worship and impactful preaching and, dare I say it, weird and wonderful manifestations of the Spirit. All of those things are byproducts. Genuine moves of God revolve around souls encountering revelations of Jesus. And in fact, genuine moves of God involve going the distance to bring souls into an encounter with God. I think it's incredible that Jesus would travel three days to bring a soul into an encounter with himself. He went the distance. And I think it's furthermore incredible when you look at it, that he left that which you could say was really successful. He was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. There was a move of God happening in the Judean countryside. But he stepped away from that which on the surface seemed successful ministry to pursue the soul of one. How amazing is it to know that our God will come after us that he values the one, he values you and he values me. But it challenges to think, are we willing to go the distance for souls of men and women, boys and girls? Are we willing to lay stuff down to pursue what he calls us to? Are we willing to lay down that which on the surface might seem successful and to be going well? in order to step fully into what he's calling us to and to see souls impacted. If we want to see a genuine move of God, then we need to recognize the hallmark of that is putting souls front and center and that bringing souls into a revelation of Jesus is the key. Genuine moves of God involve going the distance, as we said. Here's a little bit of the history that helps us understand that a little bit more. In the days of Solomon, Israel was divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians, and during that time, loads of Assyrians and others moved into the region of Samaria in the northern part and began intermarrying with the Jewish people there. This brought within that land and within that culture a racial and religious mix-up. And while the Samaritans did reform their religious practices to the other cultures that were coming in, they 
remained a bit of a confusion and a distinction from the Jews and the way that they operated. They rejected all of the Old Testament, the exception of the first five books of Moses, which we refer to as the Pentateuch. And throughout history, there has been a great deal of tension between Jews and Samaritans, which heightened during Jesus' time, would you believe, when a band of Samaritans defiled the temple in Jerusalem by throwing some human bones into the temple. The Samaritans were then banned from the temple and banned from temple life. They were announced as unclean because this was what was viewed as bringing uncleanliness into the temple of God. And from that came the belief that touching a Samaritan, receiving fruit from a Samaritan, was yourself to be viewed as ceremony unclean. It was to be excluded from the temple, which was the covenant of being struck off of God's Christmas card list. So for Jesus to leave Judea, successful ministry amongst Jewish people, and travel three days to sit down at a well and begin to talk to a Samaritan woman and to even ask her for a drink. That was unthinkable. That was inappropriate. That was out of line. But Jesus broke through those barriers to bring this woman into an experience of the heart of God. He moved to bring that soul into an experience of the heart of God. Genuine moves of God break through barriers to bring revelations of divine compassion. Jesus sitting down at this well and speaking to this woman who we know has led a sinful lifestyle. We know that from the conversation when you read on. Jesus sitting down and initiating a conversation, even asking her for a drink, beginning an interaction with her. Is Jesus communicating to her, I don't care about your past. I don't care about your present. I don't care about your race. I don't care about your gender. I don't care about your social standing. I don't care about what's going on in your world. I just care about you. And I care about your soul. And you know, if we want to see a move of God and we want to be a move of God, then we need to be willing to break through barriers to reveal the divine compassion of God. <clears throat> We've got to be willing as a people and as a church to say, do you know what? I don't care about your race. I don't care about your social standing. I don't care about your gender. I don't care about your sexuality. I don't care about the way that you identify. I don't care about your past. I don't care about your present. I don't care about your philosophy. I don't care about your religious belief structure. I don't care about your worldview. I just care about introducing you to a man called Jesus who loves you intently as you are. He wants to change your life. We've got to be willing and ready to break through barriers and bring people into a place of divine compassion and encountering the heart of God. And this is a big thing and it's a really big challenge and it's something that is going to be difficult for us to grasp in this day and age. We are living in a very tense moment and in a stretching moment, but we have to reshape who we are and what we do for this. We will unapologetically, unreservedly communicate the heart of God to every man, woman, boy, and girl, regardless of who they are and where they've come from. We will communicate, you are loved by him. How that outworks itself in terms of transformation and change, that's God's job and God's responsibility. It's not our job and our responsibility. He'll call us to be part of that and we will serve it. But our job is to say this, you are loved. You are loved. Doesn't matter who you are, you are loved. Doesn't matter where you've been, you are loved. Does change need to come? 
probably take it up with the big man. We just want you to know you are loved. You are loved. We've got to get ready to break through some of those barriers. We've got to get ready to actually play a role in tearing down some barriers that exist and just communicate the heart of the Father and watch as he brings radical change and transformation. Gene moves of God break through barriers and bring revelations of divine compassion. He is the one that transforms lives in accordance to the word. And I love the fact that Jesus begins this conversation and he does bring a transformation, but doesn't tell her that he needs, she needs to change her belief structure and that she needs to change what she thinks before he'll interact. He just starts interacting knowing that that's the end result. I think the point I'm trying to make here is, yes, we understand that people from different backgrounds and different walks of life will need to be changed to the standards of the Word of God, but that's not the starting point. The starting point is this, you are loved. You are loved. He cares about you, and He will change you by His power. Of course, all of this happened in the sixth hour of the day. The sixth hour of the day is the moment when the sun is at its highest in the sky. Therefore, it's the moment that the sun is at its hottest. It is typically the time that people rested from the sun and rested in the shade and rested from work. All except for this woman who chooses to use this time as the time that she comes to the well to draw water. This is an unusual thing because normally women would come to the well to draw water at the start of the day, in the cool of the day, if you like. It was a communal activity. Women would grab their jars and they'd come to collect the water that they needed for the cooking and the cleaning and the washing of that day. And on the way, they would exchange stories and they would talk about life and they'd put the world to, to rights as women and men so brilliantly do. Thanks, Mary. It was a communal activity. But for this woman, she didn't come as part of the community of ladies gathering around the local well. She came separate. And we have reason to believe that the reason behind that was because she'd led a somewhat colored life. We know this because Jesus says, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. You've had four husbands and the man you're shacked up with right now isn't he your husband? So she's led a bit of a colored life. And so she comes to the well at a time when she knows that she'll be alone, at a time when she knows that although it's difficult, it's a time when she knows that she can avoid the looks and the stares, the comments, the disdain, the feeling of being outside of what everyone else was inside of. Here comes a broken woman leading a broken life. And it is amazing that Jesus inserts himself into that woman's situation. He clears the scene and sends the disciples for food. And he sets up the landscape for this broken woman leading a broken life to have an encounter of transformation. Do you know, genuine moves of God revolve around ministry to the broken. And do you know, when we look back through history and you look back at moves of God and more so within recent history, we, we come to build a framework for what we think that looks like and it looks like big services and it looks like services go nonstop and it looks like constant prayer and constant worship taking place and all of those things are wonderful and I hope and pray that one day we can see them here. 
We see moves of God that involve souls and weird and wonderful manifestations. Again, we want to see all of that stuff. But one of the things that I think we miss out on is the fact that biblically, genuine moves of God revolve around ministry to the broken. And if we want to be a move of God and we want to see a move of God, then we need to position ourselves where God positions himself. And he's close to the brokenhearted. He's the defender of widows and orphans. He comes near to the downtrodden and the downcast. He presences himself with the grieving and the mourning. He positions himself in the journey of broken people living broken lives to bring healing and restoration. And if we want to be part of a move of God, we need to put ourselves where he is. We need to position ourselves as being those that are ready to minister to the broken. One of my favorite scriptures, and you'll hear me mention this a lot over the years, is Isaiah 58. It's not on the screen, so I'm going to read it to you, but if you have your Bible, you can turn with me. Isaiah 58, verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your noonday will become, your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. In a simplistic reading of this, God says, and we touched on this a few weeks ago, is not this the kind of fast I've chosen? He says, this is how you get my attention. Feed the hungry. Clothe the poor. Set the oppressed free. Break yokes of bondage. Spend yourself on behalf of the hungry. In other words, he says, minister to broken people leading broken lives. And the amazing part is that as he calls these out in all the different facets and aspects of it, he calls out an activity and then he says, and then this is what's going to happen when you do it. And he says, here's what's going to happen. Light is going to break forth like the dawn. Healing is going to begin to manifest. Glory is going to rise upon you. You're going to call and I'm going to say, here am I. I'll turn up. You will call upon me and ask me and I will answer. You'll find breakthrough in prayer. Then your night will become like the noonday. Darkness gets pushed back. Victory comes. 
What we read here is what we describe as a move of God. To see glory rising, to see darkness pushed back, to see victory and breakthrough, to see healing beginning to manifest, to see breakthrough in prayer that actually changes the conditions of the earth. God says, here's how you accomplish all of these things. See, when you put yourself where I am, see, when you position yourself where I position myself, see, when you break through barriers with divine compassion and you reach out to the broken, when you start to move with my heart, you move my heart and you find yourself in a move of God. Church, we need to re-envision this a little bit. We need to re-envision a move of God and understand the genuine hallmarks of that. Genuine moves of God are not about decisions and hands being raised. They're about disciples. Genuine moves of God interrupt order. They bring godly chaos, but they release his order. Genuine moves of God are all about souls encountering Jesus, both the saved souls and the not yet saved souls. Genuine moves of God break through barriers to reveal a heart that beats with love. Genuine moves of God minister to the broken and see them become whole. We were broken once. We have been broken many times since. And he comes to us. When we begin to reflect that heart, when we begin to move with his heart, then we begin to move his heart and we find ourselves in a move of God. Church's time we broke through barriers. It's time we stopped erecting them and we started pulling them down. Because <laughs> you know in the book of Revelation we've got this picture of the end result. The end result of the work and the activity of God on the earth. The end result of the move of God on the earth and here's the end result. People from every nation, tongue and tribe worshipping him. The end result is that the barriers have been broken and hearts from all across the face of the earth have experienced compassion and the broken have been made whole. This has to be our mandate. This has to be what we set our whole sights on. I truly believe that we are in the starting point of a move of God. So we have to frame this correctly and we have to steward this correctly. This will be more than just powerful worship and impactful preaching. This will be more than weird and wonderful manifestations. This will be more than hands raised and decisions being uttered. And we pray for all of those things. But we pray that they would be a byproduct of a genuine move of God that sees the broken made whole and all swept within the heart of his love to be transformed by him. Let's set our stall out for a genuine move of God, amen. Would you stand with me, please?